This is episode 25 of Free as in Freedom for Tuesday, March 27th, 2012. Hi, I'm Karen Sandler. And I'm Bradley Kuhn. This is Free as in Freedom. So uh, we, I, I will just put this in the new show notes, I suppose, because I'm not sure if I will have updated the old show notes. Uh, but there was some controversy about the This American Life story that I mentioned mm. just last show. and I my, forgot that we mentioned it, but we did. I did. You but, did. Yeah, and so You I, mentioned the story that was retracted. <laughs> well, they didn't retract it. That's no. the thing, is that they explained the parts that they that the fact-checking failed on and, and various other things. And it's really that guy's fault. And Mike Daisy. Yeah, it's clear that he was more interested in making himself famous than... Well, hang on a second. Mike Daisy comes out of the New York storyteller scene. So I've known him for a long time. He was a part of the moth. You know he, him personally? Yeah, I mean, I've met him a couple of times. I've, I've had... You know, I've, I've had a meal with him and other people. Um, he, you know, he, he comes out of the storyteller, you know, scene. He's not, he's never, I don't think he's ever claimed to be a reporter. Well, the problem, so well, if you read into what was said, basically, he avoided being fact-checked because he said that he didn't have contact information for the translator anymore, and that wasn't true. Oh. And because they found her cell phone number and then oh, okay. called her and then she did not corroborate, corroborate his story and uh, a couple of the pieces of his story. Okay. So, it just amazed me that there was so much stock being put in Mike Daisy's, you know, one man show. Well, basically. He, sh- he should have been clear uh, about about what was what he was able to fact check and what he wasn't there, what was true and what he wasn't. And he, and he, and he avoided being fact checked by this. It's American tough life. because I think, you know, when it comes uh, that's true. He was more interested that's in true. getting on this American life than he was in supporting the, the issue, because now what people are going to do is they're going to respond to that issue as, oh, well, that was that story has all been disproven like that. It's it totally killed. It was the biggest thing out there about that, about the issue of factories in Shenzhen. And now people are going to dismiss it. Right. And it's his fault. I just, and it's just American life's fault. I think it's American life's fault, frankly. But I mean, I, I, well, they, I don't know that I don't know the details on it, but if he wasn't, you're right. If he, if he tried to hide information, that's well, yeah, he, when he, he knew there was he, a new source. He tried source. to hide the, mo- the, the mobile phone number of the, of the woman yeah, and he, okay. he falsified stuff. And then they asked him, I mean, he, he was. They were. They, he knew they were fact checking, so he could have said, "Well, this isn't exactly." Fact He's a great storyteller. Yeah, and he, they're and and a lot a great liar too, <laughs> for his own to promote himself, uh, which is very unfortunate because the cause is really important, and now he's hurt it more than he's helped it, mm. and it's his fault uh, because because he knew they were fact checking. He could have told them, "Well, not everything's hundred percent accurate." He could have showed them where it wasn't accurate. Well, speaking of frustrating causes. Should we segue to the audio that we have? I mean, I yeah, sure. So we're 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 continuing with the Fosdem talks. I'm sorry, I had to clear that up. Because yeah, no, no, no problem. I'm just saying uh, frustrating causes because the panel that we um, that we have for you this episode is a panel on software patents, which is a frustrating topic to many. Um, and I actually moderated the panel. Yep. So they're going to hear you again. Here you go. Uh, great. I think we'll we'll get started here since we we don't have too much time for a panel discussion on such an important topic. Um, 
I guess just to start out, I just want kind of a, a raise of hands. How many of you consider yourself very familiar with software patents and the issues of free software? How do they define it? <laughs> Have you how, been a victim? How many of you are, are for abolition of software patents? Is anyone here not? <laughs> okay. Um, so I guess just, just, just to get started, I'll introduce myself. I'm, I'm Karen Chandler. Um, I'm the executive director of the GNOME Foundation. And um, before that, I was a lawyer at the Software Freedom Law Center. I'm just moderating this panel. And I'm going to maybe just go down the line and we can, you can introduce yourselves and then we'll get to the meat of it. I'm uh, Benjamin Henrion. I'm the uh, president of the FFI one of the main European organizations that has been fighting software patents since 1998. And, uh, yeah. I'm Kieran O'Riordan. I've been working on software patents since 2003. Uh, I worked previously for Free Software Foundation Europe, and now I work for End Software Patents, which is a campaign which focuses uh, often on the, uh, the USA situation, but also uh, does some work in, in Europe, in New Zealand, Australia, uh, Israel, and a few other countries whenever it's necessary. Uh, my name is Deb Nicholson. I started working on software patents at the FSF uh, when we filed an amicus brief for the uh, Bilski case to ask them to rule on that. Uh, and now I work at the Open Invention Network and uh, Media Goblin, which is not as related. So I thought we would kick things off with a sort of an update of where things are in the world. We've got experts that have um, a breadth of jurisdiction. So maybe we'll start with Benjamin and then Karen, you can fill in wherever you think um, you want to on what Benjamin has said, mm. and then we'll get to the United States with Deb. Okay, so <laughs> the current situation in Europe didn't move much uh, since the rejection of the Software Patent Directive in 2005, which is that uh, the European Patent Office still considers that when a computer is loaded on a computer, when a program is loaded on a computer, it becomes patentable, and uh, that's uh, basically the criteria they have been using since. 1986 things uh, the Vicom case uh, where they say uh, yeah basically a computer program uh, as such which is what is uh, excluded in the law is just uh, a computer program that you would print on a on a, on a piece of paper uh, punch it on the wall but when it comes to executing it you don't have the it might be covered by patents uh, so um, the European Patent Office continues to grant such patents and uh, since there is no European directive uh, to either validate or do not validate their practice, uh, the new uh, threat is now, and the reason why the, the, this directive has been rejected is that the large companies wanted to uh, uh, do not have this debate about what is patentable and what is not, and uh, asked for a central uh, system in Europe, a central patent court, uh, a piece that is now missing uh, for uh, for validating such uh, such patents. So uh, now the, uh, the 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 previous project was called the community patent, and uh, since there are countries opposing it, uh, it has been renamed to unitary patent, which is kind of the uh, similar to the euro uh, uh, euro the monetary system, which is only a group of countries uh, are trying to. Uh, go forward in Europe and try to create uh, such a court system. Uh, the main threat with uh, such a court system is uh, that it provide, it will provide uh, a court for validity and this court for validity will say 
uh, with high probability that software uh, uh, what it's executed inside a computer is of course uh, patentable. Um, so that the, the situation right now is really depressing because uh, we had a lot of people working uh, uh, against this directive and now there's uh, really few people left uh, that are aware of what's going on and uh, yeah the issue is broader because it's patents in general so yeah it's not specific to one sector so it's all the sectors who are involved um, but uh, yeah uh, with time uh, uh, the all the legal problems that they are trying to resolve now uh, might they might fall on a on a very uh, legal problem that is uh, uh, how do you extract patent law outside of national law uh, without any constitution and and all those uh, legal issues, so that's that's the situation right now. And the, the parliament, uh, so now it's mainly in the council, and the parliament will soon have to to approve it, and and maybe it will also go to national level, uh, like like the Lisbon Treaty, where all the countries has to to approve it as well. How likely do you think that it is to happen? Uh, I think it, the treaty might be signed. But whether it's legally valid, uh, that's a good question. Even all the legal experts don't agree, so. And what do you think here? Um, I'd like to just expand on what <laughs> Benjamin was saying, because people often ask, you know, like, do patents exist in Europe? And you look at the law, and it says that programs for computers are excluded. So the problem is, what's happening now, there are three main bodies. There is the patent office, there is the legislator, and there are the courts. So the patent office keeps granting these patents, uh, the legislation stays the same and in our opinion it says software is not patentable but the courts have often uh, upheld software patents so when you look at the law you can say software patents don't exist in Europe but when somebody gets a patent granted and you get sued and the, and the judge says yes you have to pay or yes you have to stop developing uh, then in reality the patents do actually exist in Europe so this is the, the, the goal of the new central court, is to, to codify this situation by making a single European court full of experts to deal with the patent issue, because patents are too difficult for normal judges. Well, now are so well for us. And so, the, the, of course, the problem is when you need judges for this, uh, this new court, uh, where do you find expert legal and legal people who have patent experience? So you end up with ex-patent lawyers having their own court and accepting their own patents. Uh, so this is, uh, this is how you can bring software patents legally into Europe without actually changing the legislation. Uh, so then there are some proposals such as we could have this single court answerable to the European Court of Justice or to a higher neutral court. However, this doesn't actually solve the problem because what we've seen now is in the UK, the, the UK High Court and the UK Supreme Court have started following the EPO. When they've given rulings, they've uh, looked at the various possible interpretations and they've said, well, the EPO interpretation is one uh, possible interpretation and we don't want to be controversial, was their word, and so they followed the EPO. So even independent higher courts get influenced by uh, the Board of Appeals in the European Patent Office and would also be influenced by a central European patent court if they think it's full, full of experts. Uh, so that's why this idea of a centralised court, it sounds like it's very efficient, it sounds like it's, uh, it's a simply, simple bureaucratic change, but it actually completely changes uh, how patents will be judged and it's a, it's a threat in, in all forms. Uh, so that's... 
that's more or less the, the problem in Europe. Of course, it is difficult to get people uh, active on this issue. It's uh, It's been going since 1968 in various forms, so it never actually seems like there's an impending problem. Uh, however, at some stage, it will be uh, there, there will be an agreement on it, uh, despite various democratic problems to do with languages. Uh, but this is something that um, that you know, will come if we don't uh, if we don't find a way to stop it. So, as Benjamin said, yeah, we need to get more active on this, but uh, it's difficult without an impending threat. Do you think it's very likely to happen? Yeah, there was uh, an EU meeting recently with all the ministers, the relevant ministers, and they agreed that this must happen. Uh, this was a week ago. Of course, the problem is the ministers, they, they make a statement like this must happen within the next six months uh, without saying how they plan to do this. Um, for example, the main goal of this new court is to reduce translation costs. However, if you don't translate the patent into everyone's language, then you now have a legal text uh, which well, you can violate the law by, by infringing this patent and it's written in a language that you can't read. So this is completely undemocratic. You could never do that. Um, but they keep on agreeing, yes, definitely. Next time, we're going to do this. So at some point, it, it'll happen. But that's supposing that anyone would understand it, even if it were in their own language. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. And there, there is another problem, which is the, the legal base. Because uh, as I mentioned, the euro, there is now uh, uh, Spain and Italy, which are opposing the language regime which has uh, filed a, a, a complaint to the European Court of Justice on the procedure of using close cooperation for that. So there is a, even a time a bomb which might explode in the next months, mm. saying that all, all of the things you are doing is wrong and because it doesn't fit with the, the way we do uh, the, we build the EU and the EU treaties and so on. So uh, there are a lot of legal questions uh, on how you make an international court for dealing with uh, uh, infringement of patents, which are an extraction of national rights, national law, to an international system, and uh, yeah, there's uh, there was the same um, uh, uh, problems. You de you deal with the same problems with, with the material recognition. Uh, how do you, if there is one judgment in one country, how if there is material recognition in another country, how do you uh, how does it apply? It's it's like um, um, trying to to say uh, there is le, le, there is a um, uh, the, the the global uh, set of of laws that constitutes uh, a country, and you try to extract one particular piece of law to make international. But of course, uh, this law interacts with other laws, so. Once you have a problem with interaction, like for, for example, uh, fundamental rights, where if it's an international court that decides for multiple countries, which uh, constitution or which uh, which other law are you gonna uh, battle with? So the uh, the fundamental idea of extracting patent law to uh, to have it solely interpreted by a special court internationally for multiple countries. Has been uh, has been criticized by the Luxembourgish delegation, which said, "Is it even possible to extract one piece of law uh, from from uh, from a country and to export it to a to a, an international court?" Um, and the way the EU do does right now, it's the opposite. It's uh, the the EU uh, says to to all the countries, "You have to have that in your law." It's not like you take the law and you put it to the EU level. It's the other way around. 
and that's that's the the main point which is uh, if it gets if it gets broken then it's uh, of course it's it's uh, for sure a death of this project so let's mm. go from depressing to even worse. Um, <laughs> Deb, do you want to? Yeah, it's not usually my job to bring the depressing, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, there. Uh, I don't think anything is going to happen with the courts in the U.S. They had an opportunity to change the scope of patentability with Bilski. Um, the decision there was pretty uh, clear that they didn't perceive that there was a problem with software patents, and that they would, if they perceived a problem, I don't know what, what kind of a sign they're waiting for. Uh, that they might then take it on. So maybe that's the very long silver lining, but uh, I think that's going to be a long time. Legislatively, the U.S. Um, at the national level recently packed it, passed the America Invents Act. So they looked at the whole idea of patents and how they're granted in the U.S., and they decided two main things, that uh, we should go from first to invent to first to file, which I guess is more in line with the rest of the world, um, and that uh, we should make it faster which is probably not good news because um, that's already sort of part of the problem with the USPTO which is that uh, they don't really get enough time to look at everything before they grant a patent that might be overly broad or has already been granted to somebody else in some other form or with some other wording. So, Does, does everyone here understand the difference between sort of first to file versus first to invent and its implications? Does anyone? No, people don't. So if you invent something <laughs> uh, but you don't file for a patent or prior art or like something like that, then um, someone else can invent it, you know, a year or a day after you. If they file first, they get the patent. Unless you can show, but you have to have filed the prior art before. So you have to, you must file something or uh, the person who files first gets the patent. So I don't think that's good news either. Like I said, you know, I, I didn't really bring much good news. For, for, for s what? No, uh, but it needs to be filed before. So it, it has to be dated before the filing date, not just before the invention date. So, um, it's a very pro patent stance, yeah. So, does open source code count as paragraph? It used to like decades ago. Does something on GitHub or Bazaar count as publishing? It's published. Yeah, yes. I mean, that's according to the patent system. Yeah. Yeah. If it's if it's published, it doesn't have to be somewhere that lots of people have seen it. It just has to be available, and then you can say that it's not obvious anymore because you might, you know, especially if you're in like a niche community looking at specific like embedded tools that you know it should be obvious to you like what's happening in that sphere. But yeah. is source code enough? I'm asking. I'm, so, so, I'm a lawyer, so and I'm asking who is <laughs> the moderator on the panel. Um, it would probably depend. I mean, like, to who decides? You know, if the courts are deciding, like, they might look at the source code and be like, I don't know what that is. But it's, um, you know, which is kind of part of the problem. But I think, uh, yeah, if on GitHub, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe yeah. we'll find out. <laughs> Was, was there a change in how whether patent examiners can use the internet? Was, I remember this was discussed, and it sounds like a 20-year-old question, the fact, yeah, that, the, the fact yeah. that it was even discussed. The, the, the typical way it works, at the, Europe, the European Patent Office at least, they make a search, but they only search in the, in the patent database. Hmm. Well, and there's so two I've, different... So they don't, use, they don't use Google, they, I mean, I've, I've been involved in two uh, uh, patent uh, filings, and the, the, the search report 
was uh, only independent database, so, so the, the, they don't look outside. So if it's not in the pet if it's not already patented, it's going to be... There is a portal for um, people to put prior art and other types of things uh, for the, uh, in that the patent office is supposed to look at. So um, the Linux Defenders is a portal for that. So if you have stuff that you think somebody, I don't know, you have a spider sense that someone might patent it. Everybody's like takes Savannah and Source and GitHub and just shove it Yeah. Uh, yeah, and this the, is the, the portal the, the, the that where they'll is, actually look at it because they're look, not going to look at. The European Patent Office, for example, publishes a small leaflet, and in there they, it's clearly mentioned that they don't look at source code listings because it's too complex. Right. So someone would have to sort of. Uh, so the idea, the break whole it down, idea, dumb it down for even the, the even the whole idea of looking at, at source code or even even at binaries if you are motivated. Uh, doesn't really look very uh, uh, promising mm -hmm. in terms of uh, solving the issue. Uh, the basic issue, and it's it's tied to freedom. The basic issue of software patents is that the states uh, goes between between uh, the programmer and and his laptop, and says, uh, now you have to 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 look at those things that has been already uh, done before, and you have to respect them, and that's a fundamental problem. So Benjamin and Karen, is it, it's correct to say that you guys are working with your organizations uh, for the abolishment of software patents. And I think, so I just sort of want to have Deb talk for a minute about OIN. I think OIN has a different tact. Right. And um, maybe we can discuss some of those different approaches. Please discuss. Um, yeah. So, uh, so OIN was formed by six companies that uh, were getting sick of being sued over their Linux related technologies. And so they built a defensive patent pool and then said, okay, well, we'd also like everyone else to use it so that you know, either like bad precedences don't get passed through the courts, um, and also to uh, s hope to ameliorate the chilling effect of not including some of the same technologies that they're working on, uh, so they get the upstream benefit of people at smaller projects working on those things. So it's like, let's have everybody covered on this sphere of, of items, and so that's, it's a defensive patent pool that people can use. Um, which is different. It's a shorter term strategy than going through the courts or going through the legislature. Um, but the way that technology goes, it's really fast. And the legislature, at least in the U.S., is very slow. Unless you really, you know, I don't come to them and say, I have $50 million here. Um, and that's like a piece. Um, but yeah, so this is, it's a shorter term strategy, but I, and it, it's, it's, but it's available for everyone now, so. Is there any, there's no analog to OIN in Europe, is there? Well, all these companies are global, so there, there wouldn't be regional copies of this sort of organization. I'm sure there are European com companies. We have, yeah, yeah it's maybe um, at least a quarter is outside the U.S. of the um, people who are licensed on, to use the OIN patent. Yeah, there, there is one problem with the, the OIN model, is that, uh, for example, Right now, you see that kind of strategies is that uh, companies, let's say I take an example of Nokia, is putting its patents into a patent troll. And uh, the only advantage of OIN is that you have a patent pool that can be used to counter sue. So if you get sued uh, for, for patent infringement, you can counter sue the other company that has products, identify which, which patents of your portfolio might, might violate the other, the other product. So it's only useful for counter suing. The, the problem is uh, with OIN, is that uh, if you're sued by a patent troll, the system doesn't work. 
Uh, well, it's meant for everything, and the patent troll is a different problem. And in fact, no, no, it's 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 uh, uh, when uh, case case uh, Bergel has been uh, clear on that doesn't work for trolls. So uh, your system might work for certain kind of pooling, but it won't work for all the patent strategies. And patent trolls mm. are definitely in the mainstream now especially with the uh, Eastern District of Texas. And yeah, and no, those suits are on the rise in the U.S. And then I, I could see the U.S. legislature doing something about patent trolls before they would do something about technology companies suing each other. Mm. So there was a um, story on the National Public Radio uh, about patent trolls. And so now, like, what used to happen is I tell people, like, oh, I work, you know, with the software patent thing. And they're like, okay, nothing. And then... After the NPR story, they're like, oh, like that NPR story with the trolls. And I'm like, okay, so there's like a good saturation of knowledge around the issue of patent trolls. I don't know how long it will take to translate that into policy change, but that's, it's, a, it's, they don't necessarily have to be yoked together as problems. Yeah. This is actually, this is one of the problems also that we have to think about is the, the focus on trolls. Trolls is kind of, it's a, the easy target for software patents, uh, for discussion of software patents. However, Trolls are generally a problem for a certain number of large companies because they attack people who make software and have a lot of money. Uh, so in general, free software projects, uh, a lot of them come from individuals, hobbyists, uh, small companies, uh, or part funding from large companies, or a large company might support it partially but won't actually go into a court courtroom to defend the project. But uh, to defend, to fix the problem for everyone, uh, we have to let the large companies do their lobbying on against patent trials because they will try and change the legislation there. They won't exclude software patents, but they will you know, make make um, make litigation more expensive, or they will re reduce the amount of damages that you can get for litigation, or they will put certain requirements on what you have to do to be able to initiate litigation. For example, you have to already have a project. So there are ways to solve the the trial problem without solving the free software problem at all. And the, the, there are a lot of companies who have a lot of resources to lobby for this sort of change and we can safely leave that to them and I think that anyone concerned about free software or software in general, software progress, uh, doesn't have to focus on trials. We have to focus on the, the, the larger problem of excluding software from patentability. Well, and, and also like proprietary companies suing free software companies, like, you know, that's a big pain in the butt. Like, uh, people have to write code around that, like when you had the TomTom suit where Microsoft sued them for the file allocation tables and so kernel developers who probably have plenty of other things they could spend their time on had to re-implement short names and long names which is so vague and ridiculous but um, that is a real problem and that sucks resources from free software development. Yeah but the, the, main, the main issue is that uh, it's a commercial aspect of free software and whether your project is used by a company for doing some parts of the of their software, I mean you don't control that most of the time, and uh, so that's really the, the 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 core part which is attacked is, is really the the uh, the economy people who make software uh, uh, people who produce software, and this was it two days ago I just I just read that for example Apple is being hit in in Germany, uh, and. And the functionality they are violating is uh, a free software library. So um, they've been kicked out of the German market for the iPhone and for the iPad. I, I don't know, it's moving every day, but uh, this commercial part, commercial part of, uh, 
of the, 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 the free software ecosystem that's being uh, uh, attacked and used. Uh, I mean, uh, you want, uh, the, the, I've seen one case which is, was for one guy who implemented Shazam, I got a threat letter, another one for, uh, uh, for uh, libdcss who got a threat letter, but those are not really aggressive in terms of uh, you getting to court and uh, going further. Uh, that's really the commercial part of free software. But that still does result in software not being made available. Like we were talking earlier about, um, there's a fellow who does a couple of GIMP plugins and he got a letter and he's like, I, I don't make any money off this, I do it for fun, so I'm just going to pull these. Yeah. So we don't get the plugins as the free software user. And then when we show our friends, like, oh, it's it's kind of like Photoshop, except uh, it does, there's a lot of stuff it doesn't do because, well, do you want to talk about software patents again? Like, <laughs> which is like, well, uh, but it's free still, so you know, it it damages like what the offerings that we're able to do, and it um, it wastes people's time, and so it's even yeah, the small ones when you don't go to court, like it still creates a chilling effect on what ends up in the packages. Yeah, it has a chilling effect because yeah, there is a high barrier of cost to to make a case to go to court. Yeah, I think um, we could we could really discuss this all. I think we're are we out we're out of time. Uh, yeah, we need to wrap Do we have up. time for one question? Or oh, uh, I think instead of doing closing statements, it would be great to just take a couple of questions. So. Okay. Um, <coughs> apropos of what uh, Jeb was saying about um, free software, people don't need to focus on the troll. We'll let the Googles and Apples and Microsofts do do the troll thing. Do you think that in the U.S. at least the process of legislation getting trolls? Getting protection from trolls will help or harm the cause of uh, fighting software patents. In general, um, I don't know. That that's like I'm saying that's closer. The legislation that would uh, do something about trolls is closer than legislation about abolishing software patents altogether. Right, so no one's written that legislation. So it, until something was written, it would be impossible to say <coughs> if. If the person, uh, people who are writing it, were free software people, then it could be great. Uh, but it could also have a lot of nasty, sticky, you know, we're really good at putting riders onto our legislation in the US that makes it like, oh, it's a, you know, it's a big bowl of spaghetti with a turd in the middle. <laughs> Can I say something very, very quick? Yeah. Just a very quick comment about legislation. We often avoid the topic of legislation in the USA. We just think that it's, it's impossible. Uh, or maybe you will get uh, legislation against trolls. This will be supported by a few large companies and it will benefit a few large companies. Uh, however, I think that actually we do have to look for a fight for legislation in, in the USA because with the Supreme Court, if we get another case before the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court might once again ignore the question or the Supreme Court uh, could actually rule in our favour and abolish software patents. But if they do that and we have no support in Congress, then all these big powerful companies are going to come the next day and say, hey, you know, everything's gone crazy now uh, and they're going to get new legislation in very quickly. Uh, so actually a win in the Supreme Court is not the end of the story in the, in the USA. We actually need legislation there as well, unfortunately. Can I, can I tie you to the question and actually mm. ask you if you think that um, if legislation is passed that um, addressing patent trolls, what effect do you think that will have on the software patent situation generally? It'll fix, it could fix the do troll problem. Do you think it problem. would strengthen software patents in a way that might no, harm free no. software? No, I don't think so. And, and plus with trolls, 
uh, people have the idea of, about this nasty patent, but that's the way things happened in the 90s. Uh, nowadays, we have thickets, like the, the MPEG LA situation, there's like 50 patents uh, on this one video format. So if you uh, raise the quality or do, do something to make it a little harder to get patents or a little harder to enforce patents, uh, you might be able to stop half of those patent owners from uh, bringing a case to the court. But when you're faced with 25 patents or 50 patents, uh, it doesn't actually make a difference. So. I, I'm not, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put any time into trial legislation myself. And we're also unfortunately out of time, but uh, thanks to all the panelists. Okay. I'm exhausted from all that heated moderation. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but you didn't do it in moderation is what you're saying? <laughs> What's <laughs> fine. I mean, it, it was it was it was a little while ago. Uh, it was a month ago, I guess. More, more than a month ago. Because month and it a half was the beginning ago. Of February. So, um, so I mostly agree with Kieran, which is not completely surprising. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I I think that the the situation for software patents in the United States is just so bleak after Bilski. Yeah, that's true. And the unfortunate thing is that the OIN representative, Deb, on the panel basically used that to try and manipulate the message. And that, that troubled me because she kept wanting to focus on trolls. And it was fortunate that multiple people said to her that A, OIN does not help with the troll problem at all. Mm -hmm. And B, Kieran was really good to say that the issue of trolls is only an issue for large companies and people who have a lot of money. Uh, because those are the ones likely to be hit up most by trolls, and th and that's that. Th th uh, and and the one thing he didn't say that I wish he would have said, uh, he did say don't focus on trolls, which was good. But the, another reason not to focus on trolls is in part because big companies, they're huge patent holders like IBM, who were against ending software patents in Bilski, who filed a very very horrible, which I'll link to, amicus brief, uh, where they basically said software patents are awesome and great, and you'll destroy our company a, if you get rid of them. And that, that's the company that's primarily funding OIN, and they're they're pro troll when they're think the that's troll. That's true about. Or they're a major primarily. funder. They're a major funder of OIN. They're the largest company funding OIN. Are they? Yeah. They're okay. Oh, they're bigger than Philips, right? They're bigger than Sony. Uh, well, it depends on on who in Sony is funding, right? Because so, because like most Japanese companies, it's not one company; it's a bunch of conglomerated companies. Well, so, so is IBM, swap. I guess. Right? Well, but they, they, it's it's a U.S. corp. It's not like mm -hmm. the Japanese corps where they just swap twenty percent with each other. Mm. And there's there's no real Sony. It's just a bunch of companies that have swapped twenty percent with each other. In any event, this is a but the point strategy. is is that I, IBM IBM attacks free software. I, I was, it was so disingenuous for Deb to talk about proprietary software companies who sue free software companies. It's like, what about your supporters, OIN supporters, proprietary software companies which do some free software who go around shaking down free software developers if they're not don't happen to be among the patents in the OIM pool because they've defined those patents very carefully to only they cover really very have. certain things. I mean, things. they've expanded the, the definition. Well, yeah, they expanded the definition without asking anybody in the free software community. Right. They just unilaterally said, oh, because right. I remember I asked you, I was like, oh, did you make sure the GNOME stuff was in there? And you said, like, oh, you weren't asked. Like, no, you, well, I saw it as it was adopted. Um, or yeah, I mean, after it was, you know, like yeah. right after right when they started, adopted. Yeah, I mean, the point yeah. was is that you had no opportunity to advocate for GNOME in that. You weren't even asked. Like, but what's what's GNOME concerned about? I look forward to um, to Keith Bergelt's talk at the Linux Foundation Collaboration Summit where he's going to talk about all this.
No, he won't. He won't talk about any of this. He'll just talk about how awesome OIN is, how OIN solving the problem. So but it's, the talk is called great, the, the Linux definition or something like that. Well, yeah, he's going to, he's, well, the point is, is he doesn't understand that definition. I've asked him detailed questions about it before and he says somebody will get back to me and they never do. Like I've asked him detailed questions about specific things like well, why they chose specific. Well, that might not be that he doesn't understand it. It might be that you know he, he's not a technical. He doesn't. Guy. He doesn't want. Actually, the Linux system definition is very get technical. into it with you. It is very technical, and he's not a technical person. I mean, that's look at his resume. He's not. He doesn't. He doesn't really know. He can't. He can't say either. He knows and he can't say, or he's not technical enough to 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 understand why it was done the way that it was done. That's yeah. I'm not sure about that. I mean, he's a really smart guy. I don't know. You know, it he, is I, uh, it is technical. In all due respect, I know a lot more about GCC than he does. I was asking specific questions about the versions of GCC that chose him why and, mm-hmm. and what it had, why they didn't, why they avoided certain versions of GCC and all this sort of stuff. So, either there's some reason that he knows that he can't, he won't say because IBM's paid him not to say, or he doesn't know. Yeah, I don't know. So anyway, I will be sure to be there to troll him about these issues at the. Are you going to troll me at the collaboration summit? No, because you're not like anti. You're not like pro software patent pretending to be anti software patent, which is what OIN is. Uh, OIN is complicated. No, it's not. It's a I, conglomerate. I, I think it is. It's a conglomerate I mean, of a bunch was, of companies. I have who, to say, it was less complicated before Bilski. After Bilski, I I don't know. I mean, so they're I think funded they're, by organizations that w- didn't want Bilski to be well, but that's that's irrelevant. I, I just I think what is the situation now? And the situation now is IBM shakes down free software projects that don't fit the Linux definition with patent threats, which their OIN reps say, oh, but the poor our poor free software companies, which no company that funds OIN is a free software company. What what? Look, I, well, actually, I don't think that's true, uh, but. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think I think that OIN could and should do more. It is a um, it is basically a, a private company. For profit company. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so I think people do think that it does more than it does, but it does something. Whether that something is small, it. it that, that something is to help the companies who are members of it. Just like any for-profit conglomerate that's owned by multiple for-profit so. companies, it will do but what's things different? in advance that companies those companies share business interests. But what is a little bit different about it is that because you can take a license with OIN, you kind of put yourself in the same position as some of these companies. So you're sort of in, you know, in the same. No, no, no. You're not in the same position because you can't influence what's what it covers. So, so you you can no, sort of get the fallout. No, but once the definitions are set, you can get the fallout of uh, of. And a, it was a long process to get it, you know, to get the definition changed. Wow. So my, I mean, it was a big negotiation. So my, my view as I understand it, I didn't participate in it. I, honestly. Right. They wouldn't they wouldn't let you participate because you're a nonprofit person, right? Yeah. I mean, Look, they're not letting Good Home Foundation participate. They're not letting Conservancy's projects participate. Like, I don't have any dog in this fight except to say that you know, uh, Gnome is a, a licensee of OIN. And I've encouraged others to become licensees because it's a no, there, there's not. It's, it's a free roll. Yeah. I agree with that. It's, there's nothing to lose. There's nothing to lose, but there's very little. And to I gain. wish OIN would do, a, would, would do more. Mm. There's very sure. little to gain because these projects aren't likely to be uh, attacked unless they're infringing patents that aren't in the definition, right? So the whole point is it's, it's this weird exercise of we weren't going to sue each other over these patents anyway. Let's just get it all written down. Oh, and by the way, we'll let the free software projects and, and nonprofit orgs sign up as licensees. 
to get a license to stuff that nobody was going to sue anybody over. And by the way, IBM's going to shake down things like Turbo Hercules that are free software projects and attack them with our patents because they happen to go into space where we want to stay proprietary. Oh, and we're not going to put those patents. I, I'll bet anybody any amount of money, even though the uh, I haven't looked to say that I'm sure the Linux system definition doesn't include those patents that IBM attacked Turbo Hercules with, even with the update. I didn't look at it with that in mind. Uh, I mean, I, I I don't even have to because I know what the answer is. And I'll take the I'll take the bet without looking. I'll take the bet. I'm not taking looking. that bet. I'll let somebody go look and then. Bet I'm not, I'm not taking that bet. So, um, although I'll give them worse odds if they've looked. <laughs> anyway, so um, anyway, I mean, I do think that you know that that there is some optimism in in the software patents field in terms of what what in terms of New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, this one. That if countries outside the United States take a stand and say software patents aren't enforceable here, then those countries become bastions. That's just going to generate Harvard. another Mark Shuttleworth. Do we really want that? Uh, I mean, most people don't know I my mean, theory. I don't think I've ever said it on the podcast of why Mark Shuttleworth is rich because of the U.S. patent system. Because the reason Thought did so well was because they could undercut U.S companies giving SSL certificates because every U.S. company giving SSL certificates to U.S. websites had to pay the RSA license and Thwatt didn't have to because they were in South Africa where the RSA patent didn't exist. And the reason Mark Shuttleworth is rich is because of the RSA patent, because of the U.S. patent system. Even though he held no patents in it, he's rich because he was the harbor to get around the U.S. patent on RSA. Well, that's very interesting, but I do think that if these countries that, um, that abolish software patents can attract suitable innovation and you know, actual innovation, which is not connected to software patents, then, you know, and there's economic benefit to that country that I, I think that's sort of one of the better, the better chances right now of showing that software patents are, are futile in a really, you know, in a, in a fundamental way. Well, my, my view is that that I, I, I've not talked about this on the, on our podcast either, that, that, that we actually should start a patent troll. Somebody should, I don't have time to do this, but somebody should start a patent troll immediately and so, because because it's because we're never going to get real change easily without lobbying Congress. So you have to raise a lot of money to lobby Congress to end software patents. So what you have to do is start a patent troll, and you have to get some seed money somewhere. But they buy a couple of patents and start. I oh I could do this, but they won't. Um, start a patent troll where you attack companies, and what you say is, if you agree to license your entire patent portfolio for use under say the Affero GPL. Um, then we will stop uh, trying to get a big settlement out of you. But if you don't, we're going to try to get the largest settlement we can for the patents we hold. And then you roll that money into buying more patents to do more of this trolling, and anything left over you use to lobby Congress to end software patents. At, at, at worst, this would be an awesome publicity stunt to say, basically, I am a patent troll who's against software patents, and I'm trying to end it. And I've pitched this to many people, including patent attorneys, who actually some of which are interested. But the one who's most interested is trying to get partner at a law firm. So I don't think I'm going to be able to convince him. But if he changes his mind, maybe I can convince him to do this. Because this is a great idea. We should get Dan Ravishner on the show to talk about this. Uh, we could. That's true. But we haven't had him on as a guest since the old show. He likes my idea, by the way. Do you think he doesn't he have would, to? No, he's not. Do you think he would like you saying that uh, that he likes it on he's a, he, a recorded he medium? No, I don't think. Come on. <laughs> he just he thought it was he thought it was uh, was creative. It's, I think that's what he said. It was creative. It is creative. So, um, but but uh, I don't but, know how feasible it is, but it's well, creative. why not? It's very feasible. I mean, uh -huh. the, the only part, the only hard part is getting your first few patents. Uh -huh. But once you get that, it's easy to do mm -hmm. because patent trolls make money. That's why there's so many of them because they make money. Right. It's very easy to make money once you have a patent uh, that's that has some modicum of of uh, of use uh, of use in in the world, which which is very easy to get a software patent too. I mean, you can actually do this with longer term. You could you could just get your own patents and start trolling with them. 
but buying them is probably cheaper. Um, the other thing about ending software patents is, and nobody says this when they talk about how hard it's going to be to end software patents, is we actually are going to have to make a temporary deal with the pharmaceutical companies in the U.S. Because the, the main money against changing patent laws is pharmaceutical companies, not software companies. And so we'd have to convince the pharmaceutical companies that we would not try to get that changed as the first, uh, at least it's the first step from our point of view. Just get software patents added and make sure it's just software and then the pharma would stop blocking us from doing it. Right now they'll block any patent change because yes, they're afraid it's going to hurt them. But we just have to convince them that we're just trying to end software patents and none of their patents are software. And, but most people who are anti-software patent are also have issues with way pharmaceutical patents, as do I. Yeah. But if you, the issues are different, though. The issues are different, and that's why we have to take them piecemeal. We have to do one by one. Yeah, I think lumping them all together in the same system is part of the problem. Well, there's that. Also, trying to reform or fix all of them at once is too difficult a problem because you get everybody allied. Like IBM's allied with pharma in being very pro software, pro patent generally, and you have to split that power base. You have to convince pharma that they don't care what happens to IBM because they really don't. Yeah, I don't think pharma should care. But they do because they stay, they're, they're fair weather friends because they're both saying, oh, we want stronger patents because IBM yeah, wants more Yeah, and you can see this patents. in the, you know, all the amicus briefs that are filed in these yeah. cases and where they're coming from. Yeah. You can see these alliances play out. It's really fascinating. And so, yeah, indeed. And so uh, I encourage people to remember that uh, IBM is the largest software patent holder in the world. They do the most oh, is that true? software I didn't realize patent that, enforcement. Actually. Yes. And uh, they actually said that in their amicus brief, as I recall, that they oh, were the largest remember. patent holder. I did read the brief, but I just, yeah. it was a while ago. I think ago. they did. I think they did. Um, and uh, and that they are a major funder of OAN. So draw. So just draw your own conclusions from But they that. are in company. They, they do have a lot of company at OAN as well. There are other members of, other significant members of OAN. Yeah, indeed there are. Um, and I, I think it's very troubling that Red, and I've tried to convince Red Hat to stop, uh, stop filing for software patents. Red Hat's slowly becoming a pro software patent organization because they're, they're doing exactly what Microsoft did, which Microsoft used to be anti software patent when they didn't have any. Then they got a bunch and now they're pro software patent. And that's happened to every company who was ever anti software patent in the history of companies. Once mm -hmm. they get about 10 years or 10 years, 15 years old. What's the nature of for profit companies? Years, yeah. And the, I've been trying to convince Red Hat for years that they should actually grant a patent license for their patents for use in free software. And they oh yeah, I've had that discussion. So. They refuse as well. to do so, which is which is an indicator that they that they might plan to sell patents to trolls or other sorts of things, right? Because right now their promise is not, well, does not tough, extend it's if it's sold to for trolls. For profit companies, this is the fundamental problem with for profit companies in our space. Is that yeah. you know they they must protect their assets, but, and, but and Red Hat's out there saying that they're anti-software patent. That's the difference with Red Hat is they have this rhetoric. At least IBM, at least IBM's honest. They they basically say they're pro-software patent. Red Hat claims they're anti-software patent, but their behaviors are ambivalent on this issue. Mm -hmm. In some ways, that's worse. As much as I hate IBM on this issue, Red Hat's a little more seedy in some sense because they're. It's out. just so tough because the whole. Freaking situation with software patents sucks so much. Well, I'm not opposed like, to them getting them defensively, but the thing is, if they were truly only getting them defensively, they would license them freely, say, under a FARO GPL. Well, unless unless they believed that for some reason there would be detrimental you know, effects to them later defending themselves, using them. Yeah, but I've talked to, to Red Hat patent attorneys on this. and Anyone in particular? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, maybe well, we should have on the show to talk about this issue. Yeah, although, you know. That's an interesting idea. Yeah. We might be able to do that if you can carry the mic to Collaboration Summit. Okay. Okay. So we might be able to do that. We'll see. But it's hard to corner him. 
We won't make any promises. This is my my troll have. buddy Richard Fontana that we're talking about. By if the way. you didn't know, if you're already a, yeah, they might they might a newer listener. listeners wouldn't know necessarily. All, I mean, right. all the old school listeners know that, but right. they figure it out as soon as we started mentioning lawyers at Red Hat. It's actually the only lawyer at Red Hat they probably. But know. we should bring the mic anyway, just in case there are any interesting interviews to be had. Oh uh, yeah, that's true. Okay, well you should bring it. I'm not going to bring it. I will carry it because I'm just going to be at my limit because it's a five day, so my carry on is a certain size. Because I don't check bags anymore. I never check bags. I think you got that from me. Well, I did it before I met you, and then I started checking bags, and then I stopped. Uh-huh. Basically, as the fees started to escalate for checking bags. Well, I think that concludes this episode. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed the panel, and we'll talk next time. That's true. Freeze and Freedom is produced by Dan Lynch of Pod Factory and can be found at podfactory.org. Thanks to Mike Tarantino for our theme music. This episode of Freeze and Freedom is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 United States license. You can follow Freeze and Freedom, Bradley, and Karen on Identica, and also read Bradley's and Karen's blogs. Links can be found on the Freeze and Freedom website, faith.us. That's F-A-I-F dot us. That's F-A-I-F.us.